This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Holiday time brings family gatherings, festive dinners, and of course, great football. Today our topic is the value of sports in our health and wellness. Sports offer life lessons to people of all ages, discipline, teamwork, how to be a good loser, how to be a humble winner. They also enhance fitness, community building, and a vibrant professional team can bring an entire city together. Today, we're especially pleased to welcome Dr. Joel Fish, a nationally renowned sports psychologist, licensed psychologist, and the director of the Center for Sports Psychology in Philadelphia. He's worked with athletes of all ages and all skill levels from youth sports through Olympics and professional ranks. He's been a consultant for the Philadelphia 76ers, the Flyers, the Phillies, the U.S. Women's National Field Hockey Team, and National Soccer Teams. And he has given over 300 lectures as an NCAA speaker, advised Penn, Temple, and my alma mater, Hawk Hill, SJU, St. Joe's. Welcome, Joel. Thank you for having me, Marianne. It's a pleasure to be here. You've done so much, it's hard to summarize it uh, briefly, but... Uh, Joel, I think it would be great if we start uh, the first few minutes on the basics. What is sports psychology, and when did it first become so popular with college and professional sports? Well, sports psychology to me has two parts to it. The sport part is what we call mental skills for peak performance. And if I've asked thousands of athletes, Marianne, variety of sports, from individual sports to team sports, what percentage of performance is mental? confidence, composure, concentration, communication, teamwork. Literally every athlete, every performer is said performance is 30%, 50%, 80% mental. So if performance is 30, 50, 80% mental, the sport part of sports psychology is teaching mental skills to improve the mental part of the game, to to improve the mental part of performance. Those skills being positive self-talk, relaxation, visualization, mental preparation, pressure performance. Because I can show you documentation up to the ceiling. I'll ask you to trust me. If we can improve that mental part of performance 3 or 
three to 5%, no matter what our personalities are, that's what we call the mental edge. So that's the sport part of sports psychology. The psychology part is anything in an athlete's life um, that may be impacting on performance. So I've talked with thousands of athletes. And when I say athletes, I'm talking about recreational athletes, high school athletes, sure. all the way through the Olympic and professional ranks. I've talked with people who perform um, about anxiety, about stress, about depression, about real world stuff. The psychology part is that part of sports psychology. Anything in our personal lives, real live issues, it can be impacting on our athletic performance or our work performance or our educational performance. So sports psychology really has those two parts. And my role as a sports psychologist and a licensed psychologist is to figure out what percentage is sport for a person to improve, what percentage is psychology. And then we go from there to develop a plan to improve the mental part of the game. And then it became more popular after maybe the late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, when 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 a fellow named Dr. Bruce Ogilvie, who was in the 70s, was really considered, if you will, the father of sports psychology, that was still really the cutting edge. I think in Europe, it had begun much earlier, became more popular in the United States in late 70s, early 80s, if you will. I, I know um, when I was in graduate school, there may have been in the mid-80s, 20 programs in, in sports psychology. Now there's over 200. So it's really mushroomed, I'd say blossom, I'd say it exploded in the last 30 years. And I think that's because the need is there. The timing is right. We've got empirical evidence. We can train the mind. We can improve the mental part of the game. So I, I'm very optimistic about the, the field moving forward. I think it's just going to continue to grow and grow. Plus, I, I would say we're circa in age, and Title IX came about uh, when I was starting college. And so um, there are more athletes, more people uh, enjoying sports in, the, uh, in school and outside of school. So what would you say is the, the most common or what are the more common issues that you're asked to address, maybe breaking a slump? And can you give us some examples? Oh, sure. First off, I just have to say you're absolutely right. There's more use in playing sports, boys and girls, than ever before. There are 40 million kids, let's call them kids, through high school that are playing sport. There's a good news, bad news part to that. And sports psychology is involved with all of it. The good news is there's more kids involved than ever before in sport. The bad news is more kids are dropping out of organized sports, 13 to 17. Why? Too much pressure. Not fun. Mm. There are more women, more girls involved in sport than ever before. Tremendous trend for my daughter and for other uh, parents out there who have daughters. That's the good news. Um, and those girls are involved in a wider range of sport. In the 60s, 70s, girls used to be channeled towards those sports that emphasize body image and grace ice skating, gymnastics. Now women are involved in everything. The bad news is more girls, 13 to 17, are dropping out than boys. Number one reason, not fun. So there's more involvement in sport, but I think just because we put a uniform on a child doesn't mean they're going to be having a, a positive experience. So your, your trends are correct in terms of there being more involved kids and, and more people in sport than ever before, both at the recreation level and at the elite level. And the interesting thing to me is since I got into this field, it could be the 80s, it could be now, this could be high school, this could be college, this could be Olympic, this could be pro. The most common issues that people bring to me have to do about slumps. Not being able to perform well under pressure, not being able to consistently perform well, mm -hmm. continuing 
to have issues related to confidence and composure, concentration. And so the interesting thing to me is the issues that people bring to me are very similar. At the pro level, though, we're just really playing it out on a larger stage. Sure. In my role, well, people, no matter what stage they are, in terms of just being better. And why I love sports psychology is everything we talk about today, as it relates to sport, can also be applied to other parts of their life. It really is a wonderful arena. Life skills. Skill. Yeah, doing a presentation at your at work, or or being on time, or being a team player, knowing when to speak up, when to hold your opinion, when to share the ball or when to go for that goal yourself. So I w- I've read so many of your articles. I listened to your TED talk was stellar. And the examples that you gave about situations where people might be in a slump, it could be a major league pitcher who falls apart after he's walked two batters or the young pro golfer who couldn't sink a putt on the last couple greens in a tournament. And the countless stories that you have, uh, professional Olympics and recreational athletes when they, they, they choke. And a lot of times you find it's what? Well, I, I find that everybody has a bad day. Number one, uh, we're not machines. We're not robots. Nobody gets a hit every, nobody gets a hit every time up. Sometimes we make mistakes. Um, so that's number one, which is, I think, understanding whoever I'm working with from kids through the Olympic, you're not a machine. You're not, gonna, you're not a robot. So we can develop a mental skills game plan to help you more consistently, but nothing is ever guaranteed. And so I've just had countless examples, if you will, of uh, the golf story you mentioned, where again, there was someone who had a pattern, an elite golfer came to me because he couldn't sink big putts on the 17th and 18th hole when Hmm. the tournament was on the line. This was a professional golfer. And, he came to me to, for help with that specific issue, um, hitting putts in key moments. And in five minutes, rather than talking about, I said to him, what do you think is going on? And then in five sentences, he said, well, you know, my, I left college to pursue golf. Um, my wife thinks I should be doing something else. My parents think I should be doing something else. And within a couple of minutes, we weren't talking about putts at first. We were talking about the pressures that he felt from his mother, father, sister, brother. That's an example how someone can come in with a performance-related issue, but it's really a psychology-related issue. Um, I had another guy recently who, just this past season, um, AAA baseball, minor league baseball player, who was having anxiety attacks, couldn't sleep at night. Why? Well, because he didn't get any hits in his last 15 bats. He'd start out 10 times oh. in those 15 bats. And this was a new experience for him. And I'm thinking to myself, I played high school baseball. I played middle school baseball. I played college baseball. I went over 15 when I was in eighth grade. But I had to learn the coping skills necessary to deal with adversity, to be more in control of my emotions rather than my emotions being in control of me. Sometimes some of, the, some of us are so talented, we've been able to get by on our physical ability, our mental skills. And so we're not challenged to learn some of the coping skills that most of the rest of us have to develop at a younger age because we've just been able to get by on our talent. Um, just one other example recently is, is we're in football season. I was dealing with a professional kicker who had made um, nine out of 10 field goals in games where it was the last kick in the game. And if he made it, they win. And if they, if he missed it, they lose. And, he comes to me because he was really confident for the, for this kick, um, but he missed it. 
and he was just really having a hard time shaking the mistake. And he knew he'd have to go back into that situation again where the game is on the line. And what we say in sports psychology is every trait's a package deal. The same trait that made this kicker so great. Same trait that makes you so great at what you do, Marianne. High standards, passion, attention to detail. We driven. Every trait has a flip side to it. So those of us who are really driven, attention to detail, push ourselves when things don't go our way, we're more prone to be too hard on ourselves, think too much, have difficulty letting go of a mistake. So, and that's the beauty of all that, but also to help him develop a plan when you're in this situation again, which you will be, what can you say to yourself? What can you do to yourself so that when you're in that situation, you're able to say, I'm in this game kicking situation, games on the line, but I know what to do. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of your, uh, help because a coach can say you held the bat you didn't choke up enough or you you held the club the golf club in the wrong direction but you're saying you know you have to you want to convince your audience if you're you know in in a huge football stadium you want to convince the fans and your coach that you will will make the pass or get the tackle you also have to convince convince yourself yourself. and no matter what pressure situation in right right if you feel I'm going to control my emotions rather than my emotions being in control of me. Here's what I say to myself to calm myself down. Here's what I think mm. to calm down. Here's my mantra. Exactly. And we're in complete control yeah. of that, Marianne. Nobody can get inside your gut and force your blood pressure to go up. Nobody can get in your head and force you to think negative. What I do is to try to help people develop a mental skills plan so they can be the calm in the midst of the storm. And they can control what Mm -hmm. they need to in that pressure moment that gives them a better chance to say, I know what to do. And whenever you can say, I know what to do, you're going to feel more in control. You feel more in control. You're going to feel more confident. You feel more confident. Your natural talent's going to flow and allows you to approach that pressure situation with, bring it on. Today's my day. Yes. Oh boy, here we go again. This is what I've worked for. We know I, I, we have three children. They were all college athletes and uh, all enjoyed it. But I remember when our youngest was playing soccer, just township soccer, I think it was five. And I heard one of the dads say to the other little, little tiny guy, steamroller him. And I thought, oh, we're going to talk about the influence of parents and all those kind of things. But what are some of the signs that a little guy is is um, just under too much stress? I mean, like grade school, even middle school, they feel sick right before practice or a game comes or they're, they're good at practice, but they, they don't do well in the game. What are some of the things that we want to say right. to parents, give so, them a rest? Really, I think, first of all, my assumption is parents know their children better than anybody else. Hmm. But there are some common signs and symptoms to look for when a child may be experiencing what we call competitive stress. What would those signs be? A, does a child consistently perform better in a practice than in a game situation? B, is there a change in the enthusiasm of the child for the activity? The kid used to couldn't wait to get to practice. All of a sudden, you have to drag him or her to practice. Do you have significant changes in competition in the child's demeanor? In the outgoing child who becomes very introverted, the introverted child who starts bouncing off the wall. Um, and finally, does there seem to be a pattern? where the child is complaining of some physical ailment, even though medically there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. We always have to, as you know better than I do, take seriously when a child says they're not feeling well. But 
illness, um, injury still remains a socially acceptable way to opt out of competition. So if you see a pattern where you can check off those signs and symptoms that I mentioned, a pattern over two weeks, three weeks, a month, to me, that's a sign to the parent, the child is in his or over his or her head. That's when we have to really pick up those signals, communicate in our child, what's going on? Can I help you? Anything I can do? Make sure we're always putting the child's needs on the front burner and our own needs as parents on the back burner. And as you said earlier, are they having fun? Is your child having fun? Let's take a little break. And when we come back, more from Dr. Joel Fish. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. And welcome back to your radio doctor with guest, Dr. Joel Fish, the director of the Center for Sports Psychology in Philadelphia. Joel, we were talking about children and watching for signs um, that they're under duress because maybe they don't like playing the sport or maybe there's something that's bothering about school or their friends that you, you want to pay attention if they say, mom, I feel dizzy or I have a headache. I can't make it to practice today or or maybe their whole personality changes when they get into the game and they throw the bat and they're usually a pretty affable child or or maybe they they start hitting another player. So it's so important for parents to pay attention. And you, with all of your experience uh, with people at every level of skill and every age, you've written a book recently, 100 ways, 101 Ways to Be a Terrific Sports Parent. Let's talk about that. And as we lean to, into that, I've uh, one question. What's the youngest aged athlete that you have ever counseled? Well, that's that's a really good question. Um, Ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the reason I'm hesitating is I, I remember there was a parent of a six-year-old who wanted me to work with that child, but I think that was really too young. I, I, I think before, in my opinion, before 10 years old, um, it, it, it's too young um, for me to be the best person to help them out. Why? Because I think before 10, we really do have to be emphasizing effort, participation, skill development. Those are, those are the cornerstones of developing the love yes. of a sport, effort, participation, yes. skill development. And so most of the parents I've dealt with, they're really, really well-intentioned. And they just want to give their kids all the resources to be the best they can be. But more doesn't always mean better. In those first years, right. we really want to be 
emphasizing, as I said, that effort, participation, skill development. So I'll, I'll advise parents really to hold off, let your kid just go out and play until that point. And if they have some questions after they're 10 years old, um, you know, let's talk then. Among other things, they're making friends outside of their school friends. They're experiencing a whole different community of friendships if they're playing community ball or a community sport. Yes. I mean, even that is healthy. It's a, it's a break from school. If they're in one classroom with the same children all the time, maybe they all get along, maybe they don't, but it's just a different outlet. It's another level of richness in their development. Yeah. Well, and it also is a time before 10 years old where kids are still experimenting. What am I interested in? What am mm-hmm. I competent at? What am I good at? And yet I understand, I have three kids myself, and I understand the pressures sometimes parents are, feel to get more enrichment for their kids, just like they do in academics, for, for, for sports, so that their kids can stay up to date and stay consistent with their friends or maybe put them in a position to play on a travel team or, or some kind of special select team like that. And it's interesting because I, I talk about this stuff all the time, all the, every day, and I remember... But my sure. older son, Eli, who always says, stop talking about me, Dad. He said, um, you know, we, we, my wife, Debbie, and I, who's a, who's a good balance to me in a lot of ways, you know, Eli was going to a general camp, and there were six other boys on our street at this point. He was 10 years old who were going to a sports specialty camp where they just played soccer or some other sport all year long. And I remember someone who talks about this all the time turning to my wife and saying, are you sure we're really doing the right thing with Eli? Why? Because again, as a parent, sometimes it's easy to get caught in the fast track when it comes to sport. Yes. More is going to be better. I'm trying to um, you know, give my child all the resources to be the best he or she can be. And I'm just saying to parents all the time, take it easy. Let's expose your child to a well-rounded education. Give that child a chance to participate in a variety of sports. You want to be nurturing the interest of the child, and let's see where sports is. I, I, I remember my my younger son, who also terrific kid, um, Ari. He's the kind of kid that um, if you put ten play objects out in front of him when he was ten years old, you put a a, a, a coloring a, a coloring markers. Book. You put a you, he could climb a tree. He could read a book. You had a ball. Ari might pick the ball fifth out of the 10 because he has a lot of other interests. And I remember for me, if you put 10 play objects out when I was 10 years old, there was only the ball. There wasn't anything else. And it took me a while as a parent to adjust to the fact, wait a second, Ari is not my clone. He has different interests. Let me give him a chance to develop who he is. And not just because of my love of sport, assume he's going to follow in my path. And I, I remember like it was yesterday, it was many years ago. I said to Ari, Ari, you want to go out in the backyard and have a catch with your dad? No. Perhaps you didn't understand my question, Ari. You want to have a catch with your dad? No. You want to have a catch with your dad? I said with an edge in my voice. Uh, no, dad, I don't. And I would have done anything to have a catch with my dad. And so as a parent, step one is always understanding what our own feelings are about winning, losing, success, failure, competition, really understanding what we're feeling and thinking when your kid's up there with the bases loaded, because it's with that self-awareness that you're better able then to make choices of how you want to communicate to your son or daughter and that you're communicating out of what the needs are of the child and not yourself. 101 ways to be a terrific sports parent, since you mentioned it, 
just gives all these situations that are common for parents and gives them some do's and don'ts because it is really difficult for parents to navigate what competition is in 2023, because it's very different than it used to be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Oh, sure. And you bring up so many important points that I'd like to revisit. One being to play multiple sports. If you have a child who likes athletics um, and they they seem to have natural talent, I mean, that's part of it too. Some some kids are better athletes than others just because that's how they're made. But multiple sports for cross-training for their bodies. I mean, you see, you know, teenagers with uh, overuse injuries, uh, pitchers or, or field hockey, uh, multiple concussions, and they keep going. What do you, what advice do you give an athlete's parent? First, you have to figure out if that exists, but the parent whose goal is to get that division one scholarship for their middle school or high school child to the point where even if the child has the interest or the teen has the interest and they're, you know, what do you say to that parent in a graceful way? Well, first of all, it's a very challenging question. I get it. And I'm not judging any parent because no. it's easy to know. But but there's a couple things. The issue of specialization comes up to me all the time because it's very real. And this is the way the reality of youth sport is. I had a parent who told me recently, look, my I want him to be on this elite team and travel team. And the coach said, well, he's got to be playing more soccer. He's got to be playing all year round. And I can show you and everybody documentation up to the ceiling, the advantage of playing multiple sports. Sure. And that means saying to that coach, coach, okay, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but I believe there's value in my child playing multiple sports. As you said, multiple sports, at least through physically, I believe mentally, physically, um, it helps your physical development. As you said earlier, socially, you meet a lot of different people. Um, coordination, the cross-training really um, develops different parts of your coordination. And most importantly, the evidence is really clear. It avoids burnout at a young age. Yes. I, I had a, a girl say to me recently, she was 12 years old. She said, you know, this is becoming like a job. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a job. At 12 years old, it should be fun. But more isn't better. I can't paint every kid with the same brush. For some kids, specialization is great. 24 right. 7 is not enough. I want to make that clear to your listeners also. But for the majority of people, having multiple sports increases the chances that they're going to continue to enjoy, appreciate, and have fun at a certain sport. Specializing at a young age, and some kids are specializing as young now as eight or nine or 10, increases the chances that burnout's going to happen at some point. And by burnout, I mean, at some point, the child is going to say, I choose not to do this anymore. I'm done. Or you're doing it physically, but mentally there's someplace else. And we don't want our kids involved in any activity where they're doing it because they should, they have to, they must, or they're doing it right. because they think we want them well, to. Well, while we're on the subject of including parents in the conversation, what about coaches? Are you ever asked to speak to coaches or give advice to coaches to say, listen, I, I know when my own sons uh, and my daughter, they all rode in high school, uh, two out of three in college. And when my oldest started high school, uh, for boys, anyhow, they did away with middleweight and it was just heavyweight or lightweight. And in high school, the max, you know, these guidelines, 150 pounds, college, 160. So if you're tall, um, you're going to look like a strand of spaghetti. If you fit the mold, how do you ask coaches to please consider the health of these, these sports that relate to weight control without 
hurting them and causing eating disorders. Well, as I did with the parents, the first thing, and I work with a lot of coaches and a lot of Mm -hmm. professional development um, is what trying to help them understand what their own attitudes about winning, losing success, and to help them recognize um, their athletes are not clones of them. And so a lot of the work I do with coaches is um, how to coach different personality types. I, I think there's a very big difference in coaching someone who's shy by nature, who's very outgoing, which kids need an mm-hmm. arm around them when things don't go their way. Don't worry about it. Shake it off. It's okay. Which kids need, come on, you can do better than that. So I think helping coaches to understand how to coach different personality types. There's a difference in coaching a seven-year-old versus a 17-year-old. But in fairness to coaches, kids aren't pro athletes, but the models that they see on TV for coaching all the time are usually with college or pro athletes. And the Good one point. thing I always, I always say to coaches is tough love might be something that might help an adult athlete, but tough love with a kid who's in middle school, even high school, Meaning, you know, getting in that kid's face, berating them, physical punishments for mistakes. Nine out of 10 times what that does is just hurt a a child's self-esteem and makes their love of the sport different. I understand, and I'm always saying to coaches, kids need accountability. Kids need structure. Kids need expectations. That's good. But that doesn't mean tough love where you're berating someone, putting them down, thinking you're going to, you know, create some mental toughness that way. Um, give them a thicker skin. Nine out of 10 times, as I said, that that backfires if our goal is to help our kid continue to enjoy, play, grow, and to perform to the best of their ability. Plus, I'm sure in some instances, Joel, that, that tough love makes the, the young boy or girl think they got to get back in the game, even though their arm hurts because it's a subtle fracture or it's an ACL or it's a concussion. Yes. The concussion thing scares the heck out of me. Stay with us during the break to hear about your real champion. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Danny and Sue Ann Meyer. Special people in Special Olympics. Sports can offer lessons to people of all ages. Children learn the values of discipline and teamwork, and hopefully how to be a good loser and a humble winner. High school and college athletes grasp the need for time management. Weekend warriors see continued fitness and building friendships outside of work. And a great professional team spirit can bring an entire city together. Well, the Special Olympics take these goals to a whole new level. In their own words, Special Olympics is a global movement that unleashes the human spirit every day around the world through the transformative power and joy of sport. They offer programs in sports, health, education, community building, and address the inactivity, stigma, isolation, and injustice that people with intellectual disabilities face enabling full social participation for people with intellectual disabilities. And their concept of unified sports includes people with and without intellectual disabilities to train and compete on the same field. Special Olympics of Pennsylvania has 13,000 athletes across the state. All programs are free of charge, so they rely heavily on volunteers as mentors, coaches, and healthcare providers. In fact, Special Olympics International is the largest healthcare provider for individuals with intellectual disabilities in the world. In Pennsylvania, 
22 sports over three seasons at the local, regional, and state levels. Parallel to the Olympic Games, the Special Olympic World Games are held every two years. This past summer, games were held in Berlin, and Pennsylvania athletes Loretta Claiborne won gold and bronze in tennis, and Isaacs Hobday won gold in track. The Healthy Athletes Program offers seven non-invasive screenings in vision, dentistry, podiatry, and more. Finish Line recently donated 350 pairs of top brand athletic shoes. Sports psychologists help with skills on and off the course. And the Athletes Leadership University offers classes in public speaking and networking so students can assume meaningful roles as athlete representatives on governance teams and contributors to decision-making on committees. Enter Danny Mayer, who is a gold medal athlete. Born with Down syndrome, Danny joined Special Olympics at the ripe old age of seven months, learning to crawl and turn over. By age four, he added ice skating. At five, he joined the soccer team. And by six, he added basketball to his list. Straight through high school and up to age 21, Danny perfected his basketball shot. Not one to fight for the ball, others would feed him the ball, and his slam dunk never disappoints. His older brother, Matt, was an MVP soccer player and loved coaching Danny. Now Danny's focus is on snowshoeing at a park nearby his home in Yardley. Athletes practice on the grass, and after local meets, some are chosen to travel to the mountains and compete in the snow. Danny's skills have made him a standout. So Saturday mornings are for snowshoeing, and Sunday mornings are for his absolute favorite, track. Now the story gets better. Danny didn't fall far from the tree. His mom, Sue Ann, can proudly say that she completed 20 marathons. You know, the 26.2 mile kind? With a personal best of 3 hours, 23 minutes. No surprise, Sue Ann is a volunteer for Special Olympics, but also qualifies as a coach for track and long-distance running. And no surprise that she's always been in motion. For years, she taught preschool, then third and sixth graders, all while serving as commissioner of the Beverly Hills Little League when they lived in California. In Denver, the Out and About After School program prepared Danny to fit into the community. Now at age 32, Danny works in a sheltered workshop in packaging. He enjoys working hard. But without Special Olympics, it would be a very quiet life. He just won a medal at Villanova's Fall Fest, the largest student-run Special Olympics competition in the world. Danny also competed in nationals for track in Princeton and Orlando over the past several years. Though both are accomplished athletes, the beauty of this dynamic duo is the messages they share. For Danny, his favorite thing is the time he shares with friends. He has a real place in a beautiful family at Special Olympics. And you can hear the joy in Sue Ann's voice when she says, Special Olympics offers the opportunity for our kids to have a voice, to speak up in their words and their actions. Competing is fun, and some don't have a lot of fun in their lives. It's beautiful to be part of it. I love athletics, I love running, and I love helping the kids. Coaches and athletes are very diverse, and it's beautiful how we all get along and support each other. God wants us to do this. It's a privilege and a tremendous gift in our lives. We salute you, Danny and Sue Ann Mayer, and the Special Olympics, your real champions. Visit the website, 
specialolympicspa.org. SpecialOlympicsPA for Pennsylvania.org. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor with our guest, Dr. Joel Fish, sports psychologist. Joel, we've talked about so many important points um, and uh, how you advise athletes as and your great new book, 101 Ways to Be a Terrific Sports Parent. Let's talk about the the concept of mental toughness. I, I recently read your great article about our Philly star Bryce Harper and that mental toughness. And some athletes develop it themselves. Some need your help with that. Let's talk about the the meaning of mental toughness and and in general mental health and wellness related to sports. Well, mental toughness by definition is being able to perform consistently well under pressure. Um, and in sports psychology and in psychology in general, there's always that question, is it something you're born with or is it something you can learn? Like most other traits, I would suggest, we're not all wired the same. You take a look at Bryce Harper or Philly Star. He's always been able, if you go back to the first time he picked up a bat, been able to perform well in pressure situations. Some people do seem to be wired to stay more composed. Some are more wired to embrace those kind of pressure moments. But me, you, everybody, I think, can learn to improve our ability to perform under pressure. We can train the mind. On a scale of 1 to 10, if 1 is never performing well under pressure and 10 is always, even if we're a 5 or a 6, wherever we start, we can bump it up to a 7 or an 8. I do believe there are things we can learn to say. There are things we can learn to do. Deep rest. But I think, too, a point, a point that you made in your article was, even if you miss at bat, it, let's say he gets three strikes and he's out, he doesn't beat himself up. Uh, I think that's one of the keys that I learned from your article, that that you, you have to be forgiving. You can't then just walk away. You're going to kill the other eight innings. If you you know, you know don't do well at first, you get another chance. Right. Not always, but... Some of us just have a harder time, and so I might work with that athlete who has a hard time with what we call positive self-talk where you just say things to yourself, I can't believe I let it go. I can't believe I trust myself. I can't believe I've done this before. I can do it again. I was working with a pro athlete recently, but this could be for weekend warriors like me or you, a recreational athlete. The messages we give to ourselves influence how we feel and how we perform. I was just dealing with an athlete who was a weekend athlete, 35 year old guy, liked to play baseball. His mental preparation before he went to bat, final thought, 
he'd take a deep breath right when he went to that plate and he'd say to himself, just give me the courage to do the best I can do. Give me the courage to do the best I can do. And then in a key moment in the game, he might not just shout it out, courage, but he'd say to himself, courage. He knew what that meant. I knew what that meant. For those of us who tend to overthink, for those of us who tend to be too hard on ourselves, for the Bryce Harpers of the world, sometimes if we develop a key word, a key phrase that can serve as an anchor for our thoughts, then in the heat of the moment, when we're starting to overthink, choose not to go there, courage. We're able to redirect our thoughts towards something that's simpler, easier to remember, and gives us perspective. So to me, that's a key towards improving our ability to be a clutch performer. And the other thing, many of the people I've worked with, these could be athletes, these could be business people, these could be anybody, is really not to define yourself by whether the ball goes in the basket or not. And the beauty of the Bryce Harpers of the world and other major league athletes I've worked with is they don't define themselves by that miss, that basket. And when we don't have all our eggs, and if I make it, I'm good. If I don't make it, I'm bad. Um, it just makes it easier to just embrace that pressure moment. Bring it on. Tap into our competitiveness. Celebrate the good times. But most importantly, let go of the mistakes. Move on to the next play. Be in the moment. Take a deep breath when we need to to calm ourselves down. And these are the kind of mental skills that any of us can learn to increase the chances we're going to perform well in a pressure situation and develop greater mental toughness. Or whatever uh, repeat uh, habit that a, that a athlete has that may pick up the dirt every time before they throw the ball, or you see Aaron Rodgers pick up the grass and see which wind, uh, which way the wind carries the grass. I think that's the funniest thing because as you say, it's bigger than just being a, uh, competitive at this sport and enjoying the win or the, the performance, it's overall mental health and wellness. Uh, just recently, my husband and I were channel surfing and watched the movie from years ago called Little Big League. And a 12-year-old boy inherits the Minnesota Twins. And he's talking to the, all these athletes and they're saying, kid, you don't know anything. And they were in a slump. And he finally said, you know, you're not having fun. We have to have fun. And of course, that was the key to the their wins. And I look at the Phillies, and to me, they embody fun. They look so wholesome and they they have their they support each other. Rob Thompson, poker faced, awesome. You never can tell if he's upset because a bad play or whatever. He's always he's consistent and he's there and it's, it's fantastic just to watch him. So it leads me to ask when the pitcher's up or the, 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 the Eagles on Sunday, <laughs> they're, they're playing the Bills. It's 34-31. I have my green on for the Eagles. Um, and the kicker had to get that field goal 60 yards. He's probably capable. That's a tough ask. What was going through his mind? You know, so... All those things come together. Are you having fun? You've practiced. You're going to do the best you can. How much influence do fans have, do you think, on even, uh, you know, the the naughty parent in the, um, in the stands or the heckling? Or how much are athletes able to block out that noise? Well, first off, I, I have to comment that fun has to be 51% of the formula, whether are you sport, athlete, yes. 
a recreational athlete, a college pro, Olympic, it, it needs to be for us to sustain our performance over time. Everybody can have a good day, a good week, but to sustain it, and many of us are in jobs where it's one year, two years, three years, and all the stresses that come along with it. So fun in finding a way to have fun. And I think the Phillies and the Eagles are great examples. If you look on the sideline, if you look at practice, if you look at the way they pick each other up when they make mistakes, um, I, I yes. think it's not an accident because energy is contagious. And when I'm getting good energy from my teammates, my coach, that makes me feel better. When I'm getting critical or negative energy, it doesn't make me feel better. And that's true with fans, too. I, I think fans make a big difference. It's not an accident the Phillies had such a good record in Philadelphia. It's not an accident that the Eagles have such a good record. Talent is the core thing at that level. But behavior and psychology, we always say, is the person and the environment. And if the environment is supportive, if it's loud, if it's energized, um, I think even at the pro level, it's not what I think. It's what I hear from pro athletes I deal with. It does make a difference. Now, at the same time, you and I sometimes do have to develop. A professional athlete does have to develop a thicker skin. We're known in Philly to boo people. That's part of our identity. That's who we are. <laughs> Some of us, though, it could be a pro athlete. It could be us at work. It could be school. It could be anywhere. Need to learn how sure. to develop a thicker skin. Let some stuff go in one ear, out the other. Let certain things people say roll off our back. Really learn to double down on what we can control, manage what we can't control. So I, I think there are skills here, no matter what role one plays or where one has to perform, if you will, or work, where on the one hand, we have to learn how to let compliments sink in and let that good energy we sometimes get from people who are around us sink in and make us feel better. But you also have to learn some checks and balances to learn with how to deal with negativity so that it doesn't impact your ability to stay in the moment, let go of a mistake, stay composed, and perform the best that you can. And I think, too, the reverse is important to uh, ask that how much of an impact do fans have on an athlete, be they grade school, boys and girls, you know, college athletes, what about the player influencing fans, especially the high profile college and professional. You have to remember that I was watching a, just a random game recently and the player came off, took his helmet off. The play didn't go well or something. He banged the bench three times with his helmet. He didn't hurt anybody, but little kids are watching you. And, and it also, it, it affects the mood of people who are, who want to watch the game, as we said, for the fun and the joy of it. You're going to have a mistake. Don't beat yourself up. How important is it? Do you ever mention that in your counseling that people are watching you and we want wholesome role models in this in this time of frenzy? All the time. And there's all kinds of evidence that sportsmanship really isn't what it used to be 10, 20, 30 years ago. There's more cheating in sport than ever before. There's more cheating in the world of business than ever before. So I think it really starts, again, with parents on the one hand practicing what they preach in terms of it does matter how we play the game. I think some of our athletes are still learning, especially when they're competitive, how to express that frustration is really the core usually of what is behind unsportsmanlike behavior, um, how to express that frustration discipline in a positive way as opposed to a negative way where other people may see them and take the wrong message from it. 
But I think fans really have to own up to the fact that there's been a big change in fan behavior in the last 10, 20, 30 years. Yes. um, The way we talk to our athletes, we boo them. It's become much more personal in recent years. I think there's an ethic in sport. I can pay my five, 10, $15 to go to a game and say anything I want. Um, There's been a lack of civility among fans and athletes tell me that all the time. So if we're going to have more sportsmanship, it starts at a young age, parents have to model it. Athletes have to be aware of their other people are watching, but our fans also have to really own up to um, creating an environment that's more wholesome more enjoyable, more competitive, and more healthy. Last question, if we have time, uh, Joel. Uh, I'm, I would think that, as you've expressed so beautifully, your advice for athletes are, are pretty, there's, of course, tailored to the person and their personality. And, and when you really start to question them, you find out that they had an argument with their their mom before they came to the game or, or they're not doing, they're worried about something at school or a friend uh, was disloyal. And you, you look for those general, that's the beauty of being a, a PhD in psychology because you know the big picture, but um, do you counsel a, an injured athlete differently? Uh, I mean, if, if it's the end of a season, that's one thing, but if it's the end of like a college athlete's career, uh, we can talk about that when we come back in our wrap up. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, which we call Your Weekly Prescription. We've learned so much from talking to our guest, Dr. Joel Fish. Joel, we were finishing the last segment and briefly talking about your advice to the injured athlete, because for some, maybe a high school or college athlete, it's the end of a season. But for others, if they have a serious, you, you want to, you know, no more concussions. You can't be playing uh, a sport that, is going to permanently affect your brain at the end of your career. How do you handle that? Well, to me, there's two parts to any kind of injury and rehabilitation. There's the physical rehab, and then there's the emotional rehab. And very rarely do those two advance at the same pace. You might be medically cleared, Marianne. You might give someone medical clearance, but emotionally, they're not really ready. Can I really trust my body? There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Can I get re-injured again? So when I'm working with an athlete who's been injured, I'm always just trying to assess where they're at emotionally with coming to terms with it. Because when you lose something that's really important, for many of us, sport, fitness, recreation is so important to our identity, to our life, 
Um, yes. Go through the same, same emotions that when we lose other things that are really important in our life from denial to anger to sadness to bargaining, just let me play one more game to hopefully getting to a place of acceptance. This is who I am today. Here's where I can improve moving forward. But whether you're young or old, to me, those are the mainstays that I try to communicate and we're working with an injured athlete. And I think that it brings up the point that you've made already, healthy body, healthy mind. Both are important. And again, that speaks to the importance of multiple sports or multiple interests. Because if you are all that sport and you have to give it up for whatever reason, then what else is what would what, what else fills that need for a passion? We all have that need for uh, maybe not a passion, but an interest or something we love. Or, or for exercise, because mm-hmm. healthy mind, healthy body means we have to find a way to exercise. And often in our culture, we're just channeled into some of the major sports, but some people have to adapt and adjust. And walking, it could be. Um, rock climbing if they're not interested in other other traditional sports. But what niche fits for me so that I can incorporate sport and fitness and recreation is part of my healthy lifestyle because there is a connection between the mind and the body and there is a connection between a healthy mind and a healthy body. Some of us have, let's call them mental blocks, things that interfere with our ability to exercise. We're not confident. We've been hurt before. Maybe we do carry some images from when we were younger. Oh, I'm not an athlete. I'm not good at this. We need to try to figure out those and overcome some of those mental blocks. And we can do that. That's part of what we try to help people in psychology to do so that they can write a new script for themselves, give themselves a new opportunity to experiment with sport, fitness, and recreation, and find a way that they can incorporate it into a healthy lifestyle for who they are today. And who they used to be, who they should be, who they want to be, but who they are. You bring up such an important point there as well, because um, I, at least when I, when I was younger, there weren't as many opportunities to play sports. I went to a grade school that had twenty five hundred children, so whatever sport you tried out for, it was it was pretty fierce competition. But um, as an adult, if you weren't good at a sport before, look at the expanse, uh, you know, of opportunity pickleball paddle or padel as some people say you don't have to learn tennis it ha- takes a long time to learn Just get out there and be active so real quickly for our listeners 101 ways to be a terrific sports parent is dr joel Fish's book and if people wanted to get in touch with you or your website could you tell us your website and a phone number um you can reach us at 215-735-6280 that's the Center for Sports Psychology in Philadelphia, 215-735-6280, or find us on our website, www.psychologyofsport, S-P-O-R-T, singular, psychologyofsport.com. Psychologyofsport.com. Dr. Joel Fish, you have so many gifts. I know you're an athlete yourself, and you're a psychologist, and when you bring it all together, you've helped so many people, and especially our listeners tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Marianne. I, I, I appreciate it personally and professionally. It just remains a great place to learn life yes. skills, you know? Well and said. so the joy that I get is helping people, again, through sport, fitness, teach life skills, and, and thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Joel. Happy holidays. You too. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor today and every Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen again to any of our shows on odyssey.com. That's A U D 
www.acy.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. Join us next week at a special time. Your Radio Doctor will air next Saturday, December 9th at 10 o'clock in the morning. A great show on the topic, Food as Medicine. Our guest, Sue Doherty, will explain the concept which can help so many people. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. As our family comes to the table to share the special meal, each person says what they're thankful for. For me, the best gift is my family, my loving husband, wonderful children, and precious grandchildren. And my life is that much richer because of my fantastic sisters and extended family. It's all about family. And the rest is gravy. Please continue to pray for peace in our world, peace in our country, in our cities, in our families, and for peace in each of our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.